Welcome to the Eyes Up Mindset Podcast, where we explore what it means to grow daily and find our best in every aspect of life. Here we go again for another episode of the Eyes Up Mindset Podcast. I'm John Shirky here with my friend, my co-host every week, Jamie, I tell you, but it truly is great to see you today. You as well, man. I am uh, excited with all the stuff we've got going on here in in early fall. It's been it's been awesome. It's been busy. It's been great, you know. And um, the conversation we got to have today is another one of those things that goes on the calendar and it kind of catches up to you. But then all of a sudden, it's like, man, I'm I'm so grateful we did it. Cause I got to find something in there that's going to push me, grow me, get better for the thing I'm doing tomorrow. That's going to challenge me as well. Hopefully this podcast grows and stretches you every, you know, when you listen to it every week, we provide something, but if not find something that grows and stretches you every day. And Jamie, you said it, like, how do we get intentional about having conversations, what we read, what we listen to, what we interact with, is it growing and stretching you today's conversation with Jeff, I'm not going to say, I can't remember how to Zol. pronounce it. Zol. Yeah. Rhymes with soul. He told us that. And I just short memory. So yeah. uh, with the organization connect ed, you had kind of brought him to the table and said, Hey, I've had some people reach out and say, this dude is the real deal. Let's talk to him. Absolutely. And, and you know, my background in education, his background's education. And so the, the conversation is, is about schools in a lot of ways, but I want to challenge us to think about how this stuff that we're talking about, how culture and how the way that we build and pour into developing culture is our families. It's our businesses, it's our lives. And without some sort of purposeful action to think about what that's supposed to be and what it's supposed to look like for us, it's going to drift to something. And that drift might be something you are not excited about. And I would even challenge us to say, if you don't get purposeful, it can never be what you want it to be because it will drift towards easy. It will drift towards the, the path of least resistance. And um, what Jeff was able to do today was to challenge us into thinking about how, how do we do this with purpose and intent? We got better today. You will as well. Here we go. Jeff Zoll with connect ed. So glad to have you on the podcast. It was pretty cool. We've, we've gotten to have some listeners reach out and say, hey, I think this person would land with what your message is. And that was the conversation that we got from a friend of mine, Brad Wallam up in Wadena Deer Creek. He said, you guys came and spoke there and that your message was just a good fit. And so I am excited to have this conversation with you. Welcome to the podcast today. Hey, thanks, Jamie. Thanks, John. And I'm excited to be a part of it. Really honored that Brad uh, had me connect with you guys. And that's awfully nice that he said good things about that and how our uh, missions might line up. But uh, pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. So I used to be in the world of education exclusively. I, I taught high school Spanish for 10 years and and you guys really served the education community. Um, but that's we, we talk about how we can zoom in on things and say in one specific area, this tool might be useful, but we also see that you can translate and use those tools from one thing into another thing. So let's talk about your education background specifically, because there's a lot of coaches, a lot of educators listen that are like, who is this guy? You know, what, is, what does he do? So you were clearly in the classroom for a while or a principal for a while, where and how did you get started in the, in this gig? 
Yeah, um, I, I'm from Chicago originally, uh, Jamie, and uh, but most of my career teaching and being a principal was in the state of Georgia. That was the first job I got. My dad said I had to get a job, so I moved to Atlanta. And uh, I taught for 19 years, enjoyed every minute of that. Something unique about me is I, my first job was teaching first grade. Uh, my 19th year of teaching, I taught 12th grade high school English. So I've kind of taught all grade levels. And then my administrative career kind of mirrored that. I was a principal at the high school level and elementary level, and then mostly at the middle school level as a principal uh, before I moved back home to Chicago and took a job in the central office as an assistant superintendent for teaching and learning. And uh, I don't know, about three years ago, I retired from full-time work, and, and I work now with ConnectEd and Jimmy Casas, uh, a close buddy and partner of mine, and we do a lot of work working with schools. We do some coaching of, uh, of uh, leaders and teachers and uh and of course, when I was a teacher all those years, I was also a coach. I coached a lot of sports, had some great experiences coaching basketball and baseball and was able to coach some guys who were in the NBA and, and one with the St. Louis Cardinals today still. So a lot of rewarding uh, ventures in the coaching field of athletics. Absolutely. So yeah, we've go ahead. We, we've learned that through this process, when we connect with people, everybody that we connect with has some tie to athletics, right? You know, in our world, we kind of seek that out um, because of how transformative that experience is to get to see people do it at a super high level is really amazing. Um, and, and I think a lot of stuff we're going to talk about here today is, is on that same part, right? We're talking about how to get to that top, that elite level of whatever it is that we're doing. So John, I, sorry, I stepped on a question, but I was just reflecting on how that always kind of connects when it, we're talking to people. No, it certainly does. And, and I appreciate you sharing that part of your past because we believe so deeply that education and sports and life are all part of the whole thing. And what a great tool, you know, sports is to teach life and how to handle yourself, emotional regulation, all of those things. But so Jeff, tell us a little bit about specifically about ConnectEd and what kind of you guys are doing. What do you do for schools and, and organizations? Yeah, we do. We do a couple of different things. So again, part of what we do is we partner with schools around the country and we and we coach and mentor principals and superintendents and and teachers. Of course, in August, when I met Brad, uh, guys, I, I was just doing an opening keynote presentation. We do that a lot in August. People say, hey, can you come? And that's more of a little bit of motivational, kind of hopefully exciting and fun, but also kind of push some messages too about remembering why we're in this business and, and what our true mission is as educators and, and never losing sight of that. And, and talking about, I probably the thing I talk about most when I'm presenting to a large group of educators is cultures. And oftentimes the title of my presentation is creating cultures of excellence and just kind of really deep, deep diving into what, it, what is culture first and foremost, and what is excellence? You know, excellence is kind of a you know, overused trite word if we don't define it and model it and talk about what that really means. We also, Jimmy and I, uh, my partner, Jimmy Casas, we started ConnectEd, oh gosh, about 10 years ago. And one other thing we just started two years ago, we publish um, books, we publish educational books. And we've published about a dozen books so far. And, and that's been a really exciting new venture. We kind of started that with the pandemic because our speaking, uh, at least in person, was tailing off a little bit and uh, so we started a publishing company. That's been real rewarding. And we're learning a lot through our mistakes along the way, but we've had some pretty good successes as well. Yeah, that, that resonates. We started this podcast for the same reason, right? We were okay. a little bit out of, out of opportunities to be in person 
connecting with people and we still wanted to get a message that connected, right? That, that dove deep into who we are and what we believe and how we can do that. And that's really, you know, what our goal is to, is to look at the how. So you talk about cultures. I think we land very similarly on how and what cultures are and look like in cultures of excellence. You say that phrase and it's like, let's go, let's talk about this. So I have some questions about how, right? I think my first question is right. We get leaders that may not realize that their system is broken. They may not realize that the culture needs fixing. They're, they're surviving. They're not thriving. They're, they're kind of just in a place where it's like, ah, what sort of things we talk about self-assessment in the mental skill game for athletes, for coaches, self-assessment being a really powerful first step in the process. What sort of things are you directing leaders about to say, you guys got to self-assess. And if you're seeing X, Y, and Z, your system might be in trouble. Your culture might be struggling. What things are they looking for? Yeah, good question. So, um, yeah, I think, I think sometimes it's just being kind of intentional about building the culture. And I think, um, I think you know, especially our, our jobs are tough, right? In education, principals have a tough job, superintendents have a tough job, and certainly teachers have a tough job. And the school year starts, and now we're into nuts and bolts of lesson plans and maybe kids misbehaving. And, and you know, and you forget about the big picture, the vision. I, I I sometimes start with simply one of the first slides, if I have a slide deck going is, you know, I have culture of excellence, you know, the word excellence written there, but I'll have a blank and, and I'll just say, what are some of the words that you'd fill in the blank that you think contribute to a culture of excellence? Because excellence is kind of generic and, and meaningless if, if un, you know, uh, uninvestigated. And right. uh, so I'll just take like 60 seconds even, like come up with five words individually. What would you put in the blank? I'd, I'd like our school to be characterized by a culture of blank. And in 60 seconds, I ask everybody to privately come up with five things and turn and talk. And, and then we'll just shoot out a couple of things, what comes up. And it's really, I think it's a starting point. What, what, is your, what do you want your culture to look like? And, and things like passion and compassion and equity and results and success and growth and, and respect and dignity and caring. Those words will typically pop up. And then we just start talking, well, you know, those are good words too, but then what do we do to make that happen? And I do think, you know, you say we have to do some self-assessment. And one thing we don't do enough in the education world, we, we certainly measure a lot of academic performance, but we don't always measure the culture. And, and, and I have partnered with some different companies. I, you know, we'll go through that, but I think just finding some way to, to measure the culture and, and doing that at the beginning of the year and the end of each year and making sure you're, you're tracking your growth uh, to a positive and productive culture, just as you are with test scores of kids. And, and I frankly believe that the better you're doing with the one, the more better you'll do with the other, the better our culture, I actually believe test scores will improve. My, probably my favorite, if I'll go just one more story on culture is that if I talk about culture and sports together, I don't know if you guys followed Loyola University basketball the last few years. I think it was, was it 2018 when they made the final four? And then this year they made the final 16 again, the sweet 16. I mean, this is crazy. If you ever go see Loyola play, and I live in Chicago, and, and I didn't see them until after the final four run the next year. And I coached basketball my whole life. I love the sport. I said, I'm going to go watch these guys play. And, and I watched them play and th these guys looking at them were no more intimidating than some high school teams I coached in my career. Sure. And they were in the final four 
playing Michigan Duke, people like this. It's a tiny little school nobody even knew about, but they took the city by storm. And I just started studying that coach. Now he went to Oklahoma, I think Porter Mosier. Yep. Uh, he finally got draw, drawn away, but uh, but he he was impressive. And he, he took the city by storm. Like they were, he's on the news all the time. And, and they had all these shirts that said, all the players wore these shirts created by culture. And I thought that was kind of cool because I always think of creating the culture, but these shirts said created by culture, meaning we are created by culture. And I, and I thought that's exactly true, right? First, indeed, we create the culture, but then that culture creates us. Uh, so whatever culture we're creating, good or bad, those are the results we're going to get. And uh, the one other cool thing I'll just say about Loyola, they, they, when they were in the final four and with Sister Jean and all that, but they showed Coach Mosier and the team practicing on the court for a few seconds on this news clip. And then they showed them the locker room. In the locker room, they have the Loyola basketball culture wall. And for their basketball culture wall, there's all these basketball phrases, right? Uh, check the ball, uh, ball you man, value the ball, hand check, you know, all these basketball terms but they literally practice the culture. So here they were practicing basketball on the court and then they came to the locker room and they practiced the culture. And, and Porter Mosier said, you know, Joey or whatever his name was, uh, value the ball. And he stood up and said, well, value the ball means, and he took a few minutes to intentionally practice the culture. And that's one other thing I try to encourage school leaders to do, whatever the role, to both practice the culture and celebrate the culture being successful right so we come up with these values and, and this is our culture wall and what whether it's a sports team or an elementary school or a high school or college this is our culture these are our value words but then so celebrate them when we see them happening successfully and in action and and then practice them I, that's something i never did when i was a principal but if i was a principal today i would literally practice the culture for 10 minutes every faculty meeting i ever had I love that. We've had previous guests on that talk about phrases, slogans, values, all of those things. And, and the challenge is don't let it just be the words, right? And how do you how do you move beyond that is just what you said, you know, I think practicing and saying, hey, what does value the ball mean? What does a culture of equity mean to us and to this place? And boy, what a powerful example that could be. Like you said, it doesn't have to be uh, the whole meeting, it could be five or 10 minutes of a staff meeting weekly. And how do you ingrain that? My question to you, you talked a little bit about measuring culture and some different ways to do that. What are some specific metrics that you have seen? Because I, th I think we talk about, oh, let's, let's figure out how, what our culture is, how it's going, those sorts of things. What are some tangible and not to give away all of your tools, but what are some tangible metrics that you have used with people that help them to understand, okay, here's where my culture is at now and where I'm at at the end of the school year, the season, whatever it is. Okay. So John, honestly, the bulk of what we did in my, in my previous school district, my superintendent and I, uh, we partnered with a, a firm up in uh, Michigan, it was human X ventures. And they do a lot of work with coaches as well. I think, I think PJ Fleck, uh, did a lot of work. I've heard him speak up when he was with Minnesota uh, with Human X Ventures, but they created a culture survey and uh, we use that. And, and that, of course, that was a company that we partnered with to do that. We would do it at the beginning of each year and, and uh, at the end of each year. 
And that was one way we, as, as district office leaders, that was one of the evaluation tools we used with our principals and, and they would set goals based on, and again, it doesn't matter where you are today, it matters where you're going next. So right. your, your point A may be here, mine may be here, and Jamie's may be way over here. It doesn't matter where we are today, it matters how far we're moving to point B. I wanna, I wanna judge you and any child we're working with or teacher we're working with on, on how much growth they're making, not necessarily where they are today. But it was just questions and it was from, but the important thing was to, to, to survey both kids, staff and parents, right? And then we'd get three different perspectives on the culture and from the eyes of the kids and staff and parents. And it, you know, it'd be, you know, you know, like satisfaction, are you happy? Are, are, you, are you learning? Are you growing? Is this a comfortable place to be? Um, do people treat you with kindness and respect and, and things like that? And uh, so, that's, that's a little bit of what we would do back back in my sure. school district in Deerfield, Illinois. So what sort of foundational pieces for you define a culture of excellence? What are, what are some pillars, some foundations that you're going to say, without this, for me personally, I don't see us being successful? Mm-hmm. So it starts with relationships. You know, I'll tell you what, when I sometimes when I talk about cultures of excellence, I'll, I'll use a book written by my partner, Jimmy Casas. And that's what I was uh, working from up in Minnesota when I was um, when I met Brad. And, and, he, and that book has four core principles. And, and, I, and I just drill down on those. So I, I don't even use what Jimmy says in the book, but the four core principles I always use as a starting point for a school, the four core principles of a solid culture short briefly we champion for kids we expect excellence we carry the banner and we serve as merchants of hope and just real briefly champion of kids doesn't need that much explanation you know we it means that no matter what no matter how frustrated we are no matter what kid we're talking about we still remember that we're here for kids and we're doing things in the best interest of kids so we so we've got a champion for kids. Now, everything we say about kids applies to staff too, because if the three of us are working together on an eighth grade team, you know, one day Jamie's going to be really be struggling and he may get down on kids. And I got to say, hey, Jamie, remember, man, you know, we're here for the kids. We've got a champion for kids and we got to pick each other up too. Uh, expect excellence. That sounds kind of trite too, but drilling down and what does expect excellence really mean? A lot of that starts with modeling. If we don't model the behaviors we expect, we're never going to get them. And it's not all about, you know, kids are always perfect and great. We do, you know, it's always about them. It is always about them, but we also hold them accountable too. expecting excellence is having non-negotiables and having non-negotiables for kids. You know, hey, no, you, you can't get slack off in this area and you must behave according to these uh, classroom values. But here again, it applies to us as adults too. We have to have non-negotiables where we pick each other up. And, and remind each other, you know, we're on the same team, we're all teaching eighth grade and the, you know, the three of us here, let's say, and I'm not gonna be in charge of evaluating you, but the three of us should hold each other accountable to simply this, doing what we said we were going to do. And if we have things that we said we're gonna do, then dang, either let's stop saying we're gonna do them or, or let's all hold each other accountable for doing them. Uh, the third one is- you, uh, One second quickly, do you find that in cultures that struggle, that this piece is the, is the first breakdown. I think, especially in stu- schools with students, yeah. with teachers, like yeah. it might be different in businesses where not everybody's valuing each other, right? We're not championing the cause of what we're trying to do in our, our colleagues. But to me, I when I think about this, that the first step in breakdown is that we we say a lot of things and we don't do a lot. 
to model or to follow through with those things. And then we lack the, the courage, the relationship, the vulnerability to have these conversations and say, um, you're not living up to it and I'm not living up to it. And I want to, I want to hold us to a standard. Um, in your experience, has that been, been true also? Cause to me, that's my first thought. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And um, either that we, either we don't enforce it or only one person enforces it because, in, in, and I talk about, I hear people say, I'm just a teacher or I'm just a bus driver or I'm just this or I'm just that. And I really, really hate the term. I'm just that. No one's just anything if we're in a good culture. Now I've been in school cultures as a teacher where, you know, I kind of said, well, I'm, that, I'm just a teacher because that was the culture of that school, not my preference. But that's one of the deal breakers of a strong culture when nobody's enforcing it or only the principal's enforcing it. A really excellent culture. We talk about these things that we say we're going to do, and then we hold each other accountable, not as a gotcha, but as an I got you. Does that make sense? I'm not saying, hey, hey, Jamie, I'm, I'm trying to get you. I'm trying to get your back and hold it, have your back. And, and you, and I want you to hold mine too. And, and we hold each other accountable, but if that's not in place where people are really doing what they said they're going to do collectively, then we probably don't have a strong culture. Another thing I think under the expect excellence pillar is addressing underperformance. And that's another thing that doesn't happen much. You know, maybe some teachers won't address underperformance with a kid for some reason or another. Maybe that's a tough parent that they'd have to deal with. Maybe a principal doesn't deal with this teacher and they just kind of look the other way. But, but in cultures of excellence, we address underperformance. I don't think anybody loves addressing underperformance, but excellent people address underperformance and we lose credibility when we don't do that. Real quickly, the other two pillars are carry the banner. That one may need some explanation, but when, when we talk about carrying the banner, that means whenever we're out in public, our kids are the best kids in the world. Um, our principal is awesome. All of our teachers are great. And again, those have to be our public words. I can have some private thoughts that I keep to myself, but when I'm out in the community working with, with families who, who send kids to our school, our school's great. You know, we got to point out all those great things. And eventually, but we hope that by doing that and by being excellent, eventually the community and parents and kids even will start carrying the banner for our school. You're not going to believe what that teacher did over this school. It's amazing. And, and so they start carrying the banner. And the last kind of pillar of a culture of excellence when I'm talking about uh, that with some groups is merchant of hope. We believe that every child deserves to be a part of something great. And it's our responsibility to provide the hope that they can. I, I think um, in coaching and in teaching my whole life that kids would perform to the level of my expectations and my belief in them. The biggest variable about whether a child can do something is their belief that they can do it. And you guys have heard whether you can or can't, you're right, right? But I, I do believe that a kid's biggest variable about whether they'll accomplish something or achieve something is their belief that they can. Now, the biggest variable that impacts their belief is my belief in them. If I believe they can do it, they'll, we sometimes forget kids, whether they're first grade or 12th grade, no matter what their faces say or their masks might say, they care about what we think about them and they will perform to the level that we believe they can perform. And so we've got to keep that hope alive in them. Well, and those, those kids turn into adults that are employees, that are parents, that are coaches, you know, and, and so on and so forth, where if you're um, a boss and you have an employee and you don't help them to believe in themselves, one, and don't believe in them, they're not going to accomplish the things 
that you set out to to have. I love the the pillar of carry the banner. I think that one's I, the question that came to my head in in that one though was what if we're at a spot where I don't really believe in where we're at. Like, how do I get myself to, I know we're going in the right direction, but I don't fully believe that we're there. Is it a fake it till you make it sort of thing? Like, Hey, we're going to, we're going to do this thing and put out this uh, perception that we do have the best kids. We have the best teachers and the programs and the whole thing. I, I do believe a, lo- a lot of it is fake until you make it. And some people may take issue with that. But I think, again, I, I have to be honest, right? I, I taught thousands of children over the course of my 19 years of teaching. I never added up how many, but it had to be thousands and thousands, right? Um, did I like every child I taught? I'm a human being. I, the answer is no. But I better dang well pretend that I liked every kid I taught. And I hope that those, those kids I didn't particularly like, that they didn't know that. So, it, so everything that happens in the classroom kind of works the same way up the system, I think. I, every single child I'm teaching in the classroom has to think I like them and think I believe in them. I don't have to like every child I teach. In fact, that almost seems unrealistic, but I have to have them think I like them and I have to have that public face. Privately, I can think whatever I want. Um, but that's got to be kept to me and, 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 and uh, the kids have to, th- and same thing with teachers and principals, not every principal liked every teacher on the staff, but those teachers better not know that. And, uh, but there is a point though, where underperformance is such that we, we, we have to maybe move on. Right. Right. And, and, uh, and move on to say, this culture isn't me. I, I did have one teacher early in my principal career who, you know, her last words, when I asked her if she was coming back the next year, she said, you know, no, Jeff, I'm not comfortable here anymore. And, and this sounds bad, but I kind of took that as a, as a badge of honor. The culture had become such that she no longer fit in. She was using that kind of as a dig at me. I'm not comfortable here anymore. And, and I respect that. And we have differences of opinion on what excellent performance was. But I, I took it as a, a little bit of a pride that, that our culture became such that, and it wasn't just me, she no longer fit in with her team anymore and decide to move elsewhere. And that's okay too. And I, and I, and sometimes we have to coach people onto different roles or different schools or different uh, career paths. Well, and I think the thing that I, that always lands with me in this and having been a teacher as well, it's like when we have a belief about a kid being problematic and then we, we feed that belief, they become more problematic in our mind. Right. And then the same thing is true of being a leader in a business. Like we have a belief that an employee is really a problem. And now we start seeking out those places where they are being problematic and, and they just magnify, they amplify. And so that the fake it till you make it thing isn't just, you know, have the public face. It's also for ourselves. Like I, I genuinely believe that it's, it's self-affirming for us to say, okay, I'm going to be kind to that person. I'm going to seek out good in that person, because if I see more good, I'm going to believe that they're good. And that's going to have its own kind of spiral of positive. That's, you know, I, I say to teams all the time, I don't just be positive because positive isn't always accurate. It's not always true. You can't just like be positive and it's, and it's going to come true. Right. But how do we then create systems that that seek positive first you know like how do we seek positive first and i think with the people we lead you know whether that's a teacher in the classroom a principal with um, employees and staff or if you're not in education like you gotta assume good intent assume 
all those good things about people because then we create the, yeah. the system wherein they can thrive. When you were talking right there, I just wrote, I wrote a note to myself, assume the best. Yeah. Uh, a, a, a slide I always have up is, is about assuming the best. And I, I didn't always do that. I'll be honest. You know, I, I would make judgments about why this kid was misbehaving and, or why this teacher was underperforming. And I think we, we need to assume the best. Everybody's got a story. Everybody's facing difficulties in their lives. I don't know why John's acting like such a jerk today, but I'm going to assume the best and I'm going to find out why, right? Rather than, and I have this quote in one of my books. It's one of the few original quotes I've come up with, I think, but it, it goes along the lines of, I'd rather assume the best about a kid and be proven wrong than assume the worst and be proven right. So I'm going to assume the best all year long. At the end of the year, maybe I still say, oh, that kid was kind of a knucklehead, but, but I, I tried and I assumed the best the whole way along. That's much, much better than assuming the worst and, being proven right down the road. So I like what you say there about assuming the best and not making uh, false assumptions. Well, and assuming the best also, I think we often as humans tend to personalize it. And so when we don't assume the best, we're, we, and sometimes it is about us and our behavior and, and how we're impacting that student, that athlete, whatever, but other times it's not. And most of the time I would argue it's not about us. Mm-hmm. And so when we assume the best, it's saying, hey, that person has a story. I don't know it. It's not about me. And that is a much easier place to start from in terms of how do I connect with what is actually happening and be part of the solution. And I think we, when we have to find out why, right? When we, like when I was talking about addressing underperformance earlier, like I, I often tell this story of this one teacher in our hallway who was always late, you know, and we were in the other five of us were always early and we were always on time doing the right thing. And, and this wasn't the most strong positive culture. So I always ask the audience of teachers, what do you think the five of us did about the lady who always showed up late and wasn't in the hallway? And they say right away, you didn't do anything, did you? And I saw oh, it's worse than that. We talked bad about her behind her back. Right. Yeah. Uh, so not only do we not do anything, we talked bad about her behind her back, but in that district, we were just teachers because the culture was kind of weak, you know, and it was a top-down thing. And so we said, that's not my job, but, but in a strong culture, and we didn't dislike this woman and, and she was a teacher just like us in a strong culture. What would we have done? You know, and I'll, I'll go through that scenario and strong culture was said, Hey, you know, Susie, you know, can you be here on time? Like all of us. And, and then the other thing we would do is find out why. Right. And, 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 and we would not slack off on our expectation of her. She needs to be there at 730, just like we do or whatever. But once I find out why, maybe now I understand. Maybe I can even help. You know, I, I don't know what the situation is. Health related. Maybe it was child care related. You still need to be there at 730. That's the standard of excellence that we can't uh, sacrifice. But maybe I can help you get there at 730. Yeah, we're never going to be able to give an opportunity for growth. If we just like, again, it's about assumptions. It's our, like, uh, they're, they're purposely doing this because they know it makes me mad. Well, that's not true. Right. I mean, that's, that's an untrue thing that, w- that we've created for ourselves. I, I read this quote and I don't know if it was from you originally, but you, you, you included it in a, in a post that you had, you said, when you base your life on principles, most of your decisions are made before you ever encounter them. Can you unpack that? Cause I think it speaks a little bit to the conversation we're having right now. You know, if one of your principles is on time is early, like you're, uh, you're never going to make a decision to be late. You know, it just happens on top of that. So d- discuss what you mean by that and unpack that for our listeners. I think it's super powerful. 
Yeah, that's a great quote. And we include that at the very first page of opening up the book of a book we wrote called The Principled Principle. And that was a book of 10 principles that we think schools, strong school leaders kind of kind of own. Uh, but I love that quote, right? When you base your life on principles, most of your decisions are made before you even uh, approach them or encounter them. And, uh, and I couldn't find out who said that, it's not mine, but I, I, I never found attribution to it. But I, okay, so what that means to me is, um, this is a little bit, you know, predictability can be a bad thing, always so predictable. It can also be a really good thing if you're a leader in an organization for teachers who, you know, meaning if one teacher A comes to my office and asks something, my answer is gonna be the same to that teacher as it is to teacher B when she comes later. It's, it's not one answer to one person and a different answer to the other. It's, it's teachers appreciate predictability in their leaders in, in a lot of ways, like there's not surprises. Surprises can be fun, surprises can usually be a bad thing. Teachers don't like a lot of surprises. They got a busy schedule and they have you know, things on schedule. I sometimes tell the story, I, after I retired from being a full-time administrator, I've done a couple of interim principal jobs or interim superintendent jobs for like maternity leaves and whatnot. And uh, I'd done a couple and then one time a friend said, hey, can you be an assistant principal for 12 weeks for a maternity leave at an elementary school? And I hadn't done that in a while, but I said, sure, that'd be fun. And uh, the first day was just perfect. Nice little kids. Teachers were so nice at the elementary school welcoming me. And I just walked around, said hello to everybody. And at the end of the day, I went home and somebody said, how was I? I said, I'm, man, I'm undefeated. It was a perfect day. I'm coming back tomorrow. 24 hours into that job, the next day out at the car rider line, just shaking hands and you know, cold Chicago winter, uh, February morning. I did my duty out there and then I walked into the main office and I encountered the most volatile situation I'd ever encountered in my 37 years of public education service. And for a second, it was so crazy. I thought it was some kind of crazy joke, but, but he, you know, this crazy guy was using MF or, you know, this MF or that. And there were still a couple of kids in the office and parents and, and staff members. And I was day two, 24 hours on the job, literally. And I walked into the office, you know, kind of happy off the car rider line. Oh, no. I see this guy who's dressed like a crazy guy and he's, he's MF from this, this MF in school, this MF in teacher. And he's, he's saying something like, I've got an appointment with Kanye West in 40 minutes and I'm losing $10,000 a minute that I'm talking to you people. And, and he, but it was going crazy, right? Screaming, going crazy. And I literally walked in. I don't even know the names of the, all the people there. But so what did I do? Because I don't know how to behave in that situation, but I, I rely on my principles, right? And I knew that, what did I want to do? I wanted to, I wanted to de-escalate that, you know? And, and then the second thing I knew I wanted to do, if possible, was get this guy in my office one-on-one -on -one with me. So whatever happens is between him and me. And, and I, what's another thing I want to clear the office of all kids and staff members, right. you know, and see if you can secure it. But it's just like, and Jimmy sometimes he has a quote, like, leadership's not about how we behave when we know what to do. It's how we behave when we don't know what to do. Yeah. And I like that. that. That applies to this too. When we don't know what to do, we just rely on our principles. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to de-escalate. I'm going to be calm. I'm going to isolate. And that's exactly what I tried to do and kind of did. But, you know, if, if we don't think through that ahead of time, I, 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 my pastor one time talked about Sully, the, the uh, pilot guy, right? You know, he, he handled that situation. Did he, I doubt that he thought the plane was going to land in the Hudson that morning. But if in talking to him, right, like he he had prepared for that moment for 40 years because he, you know, 
is, is preparing for the unanticipated and having principles that you rely on when that does happen, even when we don't know what it's going to be. Jeff, if someone out there is listening and says, man, that guy gets it. I want him to come speak to us. I want to follow him. I want to learn more. Where can people connect with you guys' stuff? You know, uh, frankly, just an old email sometimes works. That's jeffzoll at gmail.com. On Twitter, I'm pretty active on Twitter. And my Twitter handle is uh, uh, at jeff underscore zoll. And our website is connected.org. That's uh, connect and then edd.org is our website. But we'd love to connect with your listeners anytime. That's awesome. Thank you so much for joining us and giving us some wisdom about how to build and create and sustain awesome cultures. I'm sure we could have had this conversation for hours and, and dug in deeply. Um, but we want to honor you and your time. And, and thanks again for joining us. Appreciate you. Hey, thank you both. It's an honor to be with y'all. Broken record here, but we continue to have cool people that show up and give the stuff that grows us. And I believe that grows our listeners and, and you out there listening. Absolutely. And and it's broken record. You said it in my mind immediately went to intentional, right? What things are we not doing on purpose in our cultures, right? What values haven't we defined? What's, you know, like, okay, define your values. Think of five things you want your culture to identify and then figure out how to create the culture wall like Loyola does and say, this is what it means to do X here, right? Now, what a powerful tool that is to say, not only do we need to identify it sometimes, but we also need to identify how and what it looks like, what it sounds like, what it feels like here. And then practice it. Yeah. That was the other, you know, he talks about practicing it. And that there was two moments, Jamie, I mean, there's more, but two things that stand out for me was the practice culture and how we talk about it. We write up, you know, big initiatives. We do all these things. And then sometimes we measure, sometimes we don't, but then certainly I haven't necessarily been a part of a culture like that, where it's like intentional practice of culture. What does this mean for us here? Um, and then the second thing, which kind of convicted me, I was a little bit frustrated with the, the carry the banner. That's why I followed it up with a question, but the carry the banner, because I've also been part of organizations, teams where I felt like people weren't carrying the banner for, for us. And then as I'm kind of wrestling through that, I'm like, well, what, what about me? Like, yeah, I don't do that. Sometimes I don't do that. I didn't do that in that team, in that culture. I thought I was, maybe I was trying to, but then, but it's also not an intentional conversation that we had about, Hey, we've got to be on the same page. We have to be carrying the banner for each other. And if we don't, we don't really have a shot to create the thing that we want. I had a coach that I, when I first started coaching was in a place that I just didn't agree with all the stuff that was going on in terms of, um, you know, what we were doing schematically, how we were teaching it, all this stuff. And I, and I went to one of my mentors and he just told me, it's like, get on board or get out. You know what I mean? He's like, He's like, you can bring your ideas, but once you get to practice, if the kids see division between you, you've lost them. Like you are now undermining the head coach, you're undermining the coordinator, you're undermining whoever is in leadership role for you. And you have, you are part of the problem. So either get on board 
go and have the hard conversation, go and find out the way that you need to buy into this thing, but you need to essentially he's saying carry the banner or don't coach because you are part of the problem. And, and that is super convicting, right? It's, it's incredibly convicting to me also. Um, you know, and one of the things that I took away that was just, uh, a light bulb moment. It wasn't anything he said in there. Right. But it used kind you kind of said it actually was that kids become adults, mm-hmm. right? This thing that we need to, to value for young people doesn't change because they're 35, because they're 45, because they're 55. Everybody wants to hear that someone else is proud of them. Everybody wants to hear, I believe that you are capable of doing this. And they, and we might not have to say that out loud to adults, but we might have to give them the autonomy. But why, why, and, why not yeah. say it out loud? I know. I know because, because it's uncomfortable. I, it is, <laughs> right? but it's also like, what, but why is it more comfortable to say it to a 16, 17, 18 year old, two year old, six year old, whatever it is. Why would we not? I, I know it's uncomfortable for yeah. me. It's uncomfortable to tell them too. It's sometimes. Yeah. Right. But I don't know. I, I agree. No, I agree with you. I, I agree with you also. Like, like let's stop being soft. Like if it's hard, it's hard. Cool. Yeah. Go seek that thing. Go do it. Go. If you are a leader, tell your people that they matter. Tell your people why you trust them, why you believe in them, why they've been given this opportunity. It doesn't matter if it's in an institution like a school where that stuff is celebrated and done, or if it's in a business where you're, you know, <laughs> building solar panels or whatever it is. Everybody needs that reinforcement to say, you belong here. You're valuable. I trust you. Go be great. And then, like he said, I got you. Yeah. Not I got you. I got you. Right. Yeah. When you fail, I'm going to tell you that I believe in you and I want you to believe that you can do this thing. But if it doesn't turn out exactly how we want it to, I got you. Let's figure it out and we'll keep moving forward. Right. Yeah. I love it. And, and that's where the standards come in. That's where the principles come in. It, you have to do the front end work to be able to get to, I've got you, I've, I'll take care of it. You know, like, and um, just, just really valuable stuff. When we dig down, when we get intentional, we get purposeful, when we listen to this with intent also, right. Um, we can, we can have these big moments, these takeaways where you and I get to talk about something that's like, okay, I was challenged by that. Let's grow from it. Appreciate you joining us today. We love staying connected with you as a listener and as a family and as a group, because we believe that we get better together. Send us an email, eyesupmindset at gmail.com. Our social handles are all at eyesupmindset. Follow our stuff. Join us on the journey as we continue to get better. Most of all, give it away. If this touched you, if it has something of value for you that you know someone in your life needs to hear or could benefit from, Give it away, share it, and as always, live eyes up.